0: and use one of these church bibles uh, ben is coming up from the back just signal and turn up to judges chapter 9 i'm going to be joined by my colleague annie this is an epic reading we're going to do our best with all the hebrew names you're going to have to be easygoing. and if you've got that church bible it's page 251 uh, judges chapter 9. Reminds me of a, of a talk many years ago given in a youth group here by a friend of mine, Jason Ramasamy. And during the talk, he stumbled into calling the main character a <laughs> So now that I've said that, I hope I've got it out of the way and I'll stick with Abimelech. Oh, maybe if Annie uses this one, how about that? Yeah, use the, the one in the middle, brilliant. OK, we're going with the blim, blim Okay, Judges 9. Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem. And he said to them and to all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-berit, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Miller gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king.
1: When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on the, mountain, on the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king but the olive tree answered should i give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees next the trees said to the fig tree come and be our king but the fig tree replied should i give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees then the trees said to the vine come and be our king but the vine answered should i give up my wine which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees finally All the trees said to the thornbush, come and be our king. The thornbush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is related to you. So you have acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today. If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Miloh, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Miloh, and consume Abimelech.
0: Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. After Abimelech had governed Israel for three years, God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by, and this was reported to Abimelech. Now Gaal, son of Ebed, moved with his clan into Shechem, and its citizens put their confidence in him. After they had gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they held a festival in the temple of their god. While they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and why should we Shechemites be subject to him? Isn't he Jeroboam's son, and isn't Zebul his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only this people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. When Zebul, the governor of the city, heard what Gaal, son of Ebed, said, he was very angry. Undercover, he sent messengers to Abimelech, saying, Gaal, son of Ebed, and his clan have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then... During the night, you and your men should come, lie in wait in the fields. In the morning, at sunrise, advance against the city. When Gaal and his men come out against you, seize the opportunity to attack them. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gaal, son of Ebed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance of the city gate, just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gaal saw them, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. Zebul replied, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gaal spoke up again. Look, people are coming down from the central hill, and a company is coming down from the direction of the diviner's tree. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your big talk now, you who said, Who is Abimelech that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Ga'al led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate, and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Arumah, and Zebul drove Ga'al and his clan out of Shechem.
1: The next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields, and this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. Then two companies attacked those in the fields and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. On hearing this... The citizens in the tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of Elbereth. When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up to Mount Zalman. He took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, Quick, do what you have seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city had fled. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor-bearer, "'Draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed him.' So his servant ran him through, and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his seventy brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jothan, son of Jeroboam, came on them.
0: This is God's word. Thank you, Annie. Now let's uh, join our hearts together in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, as we read this account of leadership and rule gone wrong, we can't help but think about rulers and those in authority in our world, and pray for them as you have instructed us. We pray especially for the situation in Russia and Ukraine at the moment, as our Prime Minister has today said, the shadow of the biggest war in Europe since 1945 is over us. And Lord, we've enjoyed peace and prosperity in our lifetimes but within living memory were terrible, terrible conflicts, the like of which we read about in Judges, where men, women, and children died, and so therefore we pray for peace. Thank you that the international community seem united and they've been seeking to engage with President Putin. We do pray, Lord, that you would yet spare that part of the world from a great conflict that would cost many lives, that reason and justice might prevail. And we ask for believers in Ukraine, in the midst of a country where great fear is spreading, that they would stand firm and that they would bear some testimony to the hope of Jesus Christ in that context. Loving God, we also pray for our own uh, leaders and rulers in this country. Pray for our queen who has now got COVID. And we ask for her that you would give her good uh, medical help and encouragement as she recovers. Thank you for her living faith, for her example. Please strengthen her in these uh, winter days of her rule and help her, Lord, to, to finish well as a Christian believer as well as a monarch. Father, we pray for our prime minister and government. We ask that they would pass righteous laws. Especially, Lord, we pray for freedom of religion in these times where our culture in many ways is increasing to harden against aspects of biblical faith where our culture becomes more and more secular, and we see danger for biblical churches and believers, the things that could be put into law. And therefore we ask and plead with you that we would be granted freedom to preach the gospel and live peaceful lives, and that our rulers would pass righteous laws. And especially, Lord, we bring before you the national and international scandal of abortion, It's reckoned that one in four pregnancies this year in this country will end in abortion. And we pray, Lord, for this terrible cause, this thing which is so often hidden, that you would yet turn the hearts of people to realize that human life, even in the womb, is precious and sacred and ought to be protected. And Lord, we ask that you would yet turn the hearts of not only people, but of governments and of legislature To protect the unborn as well as those at the end of life. Father, we pray for our own congregation and commit to you those with long-term health conditions, those who are struggling with grief, uh, with anxiety and depression. We pray for those who've recently had diagnoses that were deeply uh, challenging and and upsetting and and could fill them with fear. We ask that you would fill them with faith. We ask that we would strengthen their conviction that, Lord, they would meet you and you would meet them in this time in new and profound ways and remind them that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and that nothing has happened that is beyond your permission and that you intend everything for their good and that you will bring them to glory. We ask also for healing, Lord. We love our church family and pray that you would bless those within it. Pray for those, Lord, who wrestle with issues to do with disability. Thank you for them. Thank you that they are a precious and cherished part of our congregation, of our church family. Lord, we ask that you would help each one of us to know how to love our disabled neighbor as ourself. And Lord, we thank you for the many infants and children and young people who are in this church. We're so grateful to you for them, for the energy, the life that they bring, for the promise of their young lives. And yet we know they're growing up in a dark world, a world full of many temptations and dangers. And we pray, Lord, that your word would come to life and light within them, that you would send your Holy Spirit to them and bring them to saving faith. Thank you for 49 teenagers recently at a bowling event with the YPF. Nearly 50 teenagers. Thank you that many of them are are from non-believing families, but they're coming in to the sphere of the gospel. Lord we pray that there would be genuine, many genuine conversions that you would do a work amongst them and give them a heart for God. Strengthen all the leaders Lord for the different youth and children's works we pray and bless Gareth in his role of overseeing all of that wonderful ministry. And finally Lord we pray now for the preaching and hearing of your word. We ask for Matt as he comes and brings us a message to do with Judges 9, Lord, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit and may he speak as one speaking the very words of God. Lord, give him clarity and an insight into where we need to hear from you and grant us hearts that are open to instruction and correction, ears that are attentive and minds that want to understand. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for Your glory. Amen. Amen. Over to you, Matt.
2: Brilliant. Thanks, Mike. I'm just going to move. That. Excellent. Do keep Judges chapter nine uh, open in front of you. And as as Mike has already already prayed, as we come to, am I very loud? I feel like I'm. You, it was a long reading. You need to be woken up. Um, <laughs> um, as as Mike's already prayed, as we come to this chapter, the uh, the question of leadership should be kind of ringing uh, in in our ears. I I guess it it's pretty unavoidable at the moment, as we've just heard and thought about and prayed about. Uh, our news headlines are full of uh, leadership. The question of leadership, whether it's Uh, international politics or Winter Olympics, people are talking about leadership. And as you think about that, uh, just think for a minute about what makes a good leader. Uh, In your mind, as you think about leadership, as you think about the kinds of people that uh, you might vote for or listen to or follow, what makes someone a good leader? What makes someone worth listening to? like i say that that might be on the on the big scale on the on the politics scale it, it might just be in your day to day what makes someone worth listening to what makes someone a good leader because there are leaders in in all areas of life aren't there whether it is sport or music or politics or religion wherever you go whatever you do you will come across leaders and so you need to think what is it that makes someone worth following, what is it that makes a good leader? The topic of leadership is actually at the heart of uh, this book of Judges. If you can think back to the very beginning, uh, we, we glimpsed briefly the end of the book where it says those words that in those days there was no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Judges is all about leadership. Time and time again, God's people are faced with the question of Who will you follow? Israel, who will you listen to? Where will you look to for guidance? Where will you look to for leadership? It's the question of the book. And it's the question that we ended with in chapter 8. And now into chapter 9. If you were with us uh, two weeks ago, Steve Bialy preached from chapter 8. And that chapter was all about Gideon, uh, the weak and reluctant leader who God used For his own glory. It was in weakness that Gideon led the people of God to victory. But at the end of chapter 8, power seems to have gone to Gideon's head. We haven't read it this evening, but you see there that despite Gideon's apparent humility, despite his insistence that he doesn't want to rule over Israel he still gets the people of Israel to give him a whole load of gold uh, so that he can make this this special ephod for himself and basically pretend to be a king. That becomes even clearer as we uh, look at Gideon's children. He calls one of them Abimelech, who we've met this evening. Abimelech literally means, my father is king. And so for all Gideon's humility, actually, He is just as proud as anyone else. And it's Abimelech, the son of the king, that we're going to focus on this evening. So look again at chapter 9, where first of all we're going to see a corrupt king. Maybe you notice as we read chapter 9, or as Ali and Mike read it, that it doesn't begin with our usual pattern that we've got used to in the book of Judges. There is no judge, no deliverer mentioned in these opening verses or in the rest of the chapter. There's no judge because there's no enemy king, no foreign power that's come to rule over Israel, and so they don't need rescuing from anyone. But the absence of a foreign power, a foreign ruler, doesn't mean the absence of problems for the people of God. In fact, as we're going to quickly see this time, the danger is much closer to home. And so in verse 1, we're introduced to Abimelech. He's one of Gideon's many sons, but the thing that marks this guy out from the rest is that he's illegitimate. He's the, the son of a concubine, which means he is last in line when it comes to any sort of inheritance. Last in line when it comes to any power or influence that might have come from being the son of the mighty Moabite defeating Gideon. And it seems that being ranked in last place isn't something that Abimelech is all that pleased about. You can see that in verse 2 where he begins his campaign for power. At verse 2 he says, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you? To have all 70 of Jerobal, that's Gideon's sons, rule over you? Or just one man? Remember, I'm your flesh and blood. Abimelech makes his pitch to be king, and you, straight away you can see the kind of angle that he takes, isn't he? He says, Which is better for you? What will serve your interests? What do you need, people of Shechem? Tell me, what do you want? Abimelech appeals to the people's self interest because, like most politicians, he knows that works. He knows that people tend to vote for what will serve them best. It's all about you, he says. And to make it even better, I'm one of you. End of verse 2, remember, I'm your flesh and blood. I'm a man of the people. I look after my own. Make me king and I'll make it worth your while. It's a powerful pitch, isn't it? A powerful pitch from this wannabe king, and it works. The people are convinced, verse 4, they, they pay Abimelech a load of money, but notice from where? The temple of Barbareth. Good old Israel. Rather than consult the Lord, rather than trust the God of Gideon, Israel turns again to their false gods for guidance. They go to Baal for blessing. And what's the result? Well, Abimelech takes the money from the temple that he's been given. He hires some thugs, and then in verse 5 we read, He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his seventy brothers, the sons of Jerobal. Abimelech, the man of the people, takes the money from Baal's temple and uses it to slaughter his brothers. Just imagine it. One by one, the sons of Gideon are led like lambs to the slaughter. One by one, they are killed by this wannabe king who promised to do what is best for the people. It is shocking. It is horrific. But this is where humanity ends up, when it forgets the Lord. Remember, that is the context for what is going on in this whole book and even in this chapter. Just look back to chapter 8, end of chapter 8, verse 33, the bit before we started our reading. 8, verse 33 says this, No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Barbarith as their God and did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies On every side. God's rescuer is dead. And so the downward spiral of judges continues. Again, Israel rebels against the Lord. Again, they choose to live with themselves at the center. And chapter 9 is the result. They are ruled by their idols and governed by kings who promise life, but deliver death. And so right at the start... Of this chapter, we're meant to see that the focus here is as much on the people as it is their wicked king. This is as much about Israel's choices as it is about Abimelech's cruelty. You can see that in what happens next. Verse 6, the murderous Abimelech is crowned king. But then, verse 7, we find out that he didn't quite finish the job with his brothers. One managed to escape, Jotham. And as Jotham hears about the coronation of the corrupt king, he climbs to the top of Mount Gerizim, the mountain of God's blessing. And what does he do? He begins to shout down curses on the people of God. In verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8, he he pictures the people of Shechem like trees, trying to appoint another tree to be king over them. The first three are all good trees that give good things. There's the usefulness of the olive oil, the the sweetness of figs, the joy of wine. These are good trees, he says. They give good things, but but they all refuse. They won't be king. So the people turn to a fourth tree. Or more accurately, they turn to a thorn bush. Verse 14. Unlike the trees, the thorn bush is pretty useless. It can't give shade. It it doesn't produce fruit. It, it's useless. It, it it can do nothing. But more than that, it's dangerous. Uh, thorn bushes are what you start fires with, uh, and so they can't help you. They can only hurt you. And so Jotham's story ends in verse fifteen with the thorn bush saying to the other trees, "If you really want me to anoint uh, want to anoint me king over you." Come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. It's a bit of a weird story to shout from the top of Mount Blessing, isn't it? Trees and thorn bushes. Well, what's going on? But the point comes in verse 16. Because having told his story about the trees, Jotham then turns to the people and he says, Have you acted honourably? And in good faith by making Abimelech king. Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? The answer to Jotham's question is obviously no. They have not acted honourably. They have not treated him fairly in any way. And so verse 18, Jotham says, You have made a murderer your king. After all Gideon did for you, uh, you have followed the one who slaughtered his sons. You've given allegiance to a killer, your loyalty to a liar. You've trusted in this thornbush king rather than the Lord. And so, verse 20, now, well, now you'll face the consequences. Now you'll be burnt by the bramble king you've chosen. And so again, can you see where the focus of Jotham's speech is? You see the point he's, he's making? This is the king the people chose. They've turned their back on God and appointed this king to serve themselves. Yes, Abimelech is wicked. Yes, he's corrupt. We can clearly see that. But you chose him, says Jotham. He's the king you deserve. Uh, But this goes even deeper because chapter 9 is about much more than Israel's poor voting habits. Uh, Behind Abimelech, as we've already seen, stands Baal. Israel have chosen a king in the image of the false gods they serve. And so Judges 9, it's not simply about the dangers of appointing corrupt leaders, although it is in there. No, it's about the danger, the deeper danger of following false gods. Because spiritually speaking, we're so often tempted, aren't we, to to give our allegiance to whatever or whoever tells us the things we want to hear. They might be useless, they might be dangerous, thornbush kind of gods. But if, like Abimelech, they promise to give me the things I crave, if they promise to serve me, then I'll listen, I'll follow And so as we saw a few weeks ago, idolatry isn't just this unfortunate habit that we stumble into. No, no, Judges is making very clear, it is a sinful choice that we make. Israel chose to reject God. They chose to listen to Abimelech. They forsook the Lord and chose to follow Baal instead. And we can do exactly the same thing today when we choose to make life all about our own success, our own comfort or, or popularity, when we choose to live for the things that we want, the things that we desire, when those things become the things that rule us, that's idolatry. It is rebellion against the living God. And so in the end, it deserves his punishment. But It deserves death, which means idolatry, it's not just disappointing, it's dangerous. Idols promise much, they they claim to offer what is best for you. But the reality is they are much more like the thornbush king of Judges 9. They cannot help you, they cannot save you, they can only burn. Oh, idolatry isn't just disappointing, it's dangerous. And we can see that's that's true in what happens next in chapter 9. we have We've had the corrupt king, but next we see the crushing consequence. Uh, Jotham pronounces God's curse on the people of Shechem, and then in verse 21, he legs it. He runs, uh, and Abimelech is left in charge, ruling Israel for three years. But it's not long before things begin to go wrong for the thornbush king. Verse 23 says that God stirred up animosity, stirred up dissatisfaction and division in the land. And in verse 26, a, a rival ruler enters the scene, Gal. Gal hears about the problems in Shechem and thinks this is the time to seize power. He gathers the people to himself and look at what he says in verse 28. It says, Then Gaal, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And why should we, Shechemites, be subject to him? Isn't he Jerobal's son? And isn't Zebel his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only these people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, Call out your whole army. Follow me, says Gaal, listen to me, make me king. Not this outsider, this weak and worthless Abimelech. I could take him if I had a chance. Gaal talks this big game and in verse 31, Abimelech catches wind. He hears about this arrogant upstart and decides to teach him a lesson. Verse 34, he, he gathers his army and he sets an ambush. And I wonder if you noticed, as we read it, how Gideon-like Abimelech's battle tactics are. He tries to trick the enemy about the size of his army. He, he divides his troops. He sets ambushes. He's following in the footsteps of his father Gideon, except this time, this time it's against his own people. Verse 37, Giles spots Abimelech's men on the horizon. He panics at the sight of soldiers approaching and in verse 38, Zebel, Abimelech's man on the inside, mocks Gar. Where's your big talk now, he says. You who said, who is Abimelech, that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go and fight them. God doesn't want to lose face. That wouldn't be good for the voters. So he heads out to fight. And he is utterly destroyed. Abimelech drives him out, massacres the men of Shechem. And so can you see that that Israel really doesn't need a Sisera or, or an Eglon to do the dirty work. It doesn't need Canaanites or Moabites to cause it problems. No, the people of God are quite capable of destroying themselves. Verse 45, Abimelech, the king who promised to serve the people, destroys the city and kills everyone in it. The thornbush king is on fire. And as the city falls, look at where the people run for shelter. Verse 46. On hearing this, the citizens in the Tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of Elberith. Still committed to their idols. The people run to the pagan temple for protection. They think Elberith will save them. But obviously he won't. Because he can't. He is a dead, useless, worthless idol. And that makes him dangerous. Verse 47, when Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went to Mount Zalmon. He took an axe and cut off some of the branches which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, quick, do what you have seen me do. All the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire. With the people still inside. So, all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. The people of Shechem put their trust in useless idols and corrupt kings, and the result is they are burnt alive by the thornbush king. Just as Jotham promised. Abimelech is like a wildfire now, he's out of control, he's devastating, he moves on to the next town, to Thebes in verse 50, and he tries the same attack. But this time it doesn't work out quite as he planned. Verse 53, a woman lobs a huge rock down from the top of the tower and it hits Abimelech, cracking his skull. Weak and wounded, he calls his armor bearer over and with his last breath, he begs to be killed by the sword of a warrior rather than the hands of a woman. And so the chapter ends in verse 56. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham's son of Jeroboam came on them. Judges chapter 9 is another tragic story of Israel's sin. It is another story of their idolatry, their rebellion that leads to their ruin. But do you see the point in that last verse? Do you see that in the end, after, after all the wickedness, all the corruption, all the violence and killing, the lies and the boasting, in the end, justice is done. Whether by a sword or a stone, a woman or a warrior, it doesn't really matter. Because in the end, Abimelech, the corrupt king, is crushed by the Lord. And the people of Shechem, well, they experience the consequence of their idolatry and their sin. Justice is done. And notice that it's the Lord's justice. That is made clear for us in that last verse, isn't it? It is God who repays the wickedness of Abimelech. It is God who pays back Shechem for their idolatry. Because the Lord is just. He is faithful to his word. Faithful to his promise of blessing for those who trust him, those who listen to and follow him. But also faithful to his promise of punishment for those who reject him. Those who run after false gods and corrupt kings. Whether it's blessing or curse, provision or punishment, God is always faithful to his word. And again, the same is true today. God has explicitly said, there will be consequences for those who reject him. He's... His holiness, his justice means he he will not, he cannot let sin go unpunished. He can't turn a blind eye. He can't sweep it under the carpet. And so if we choose to turn our back on him, if we choose to reject him, then we will experience his curse. We will know the curse of being separated from him forever. The curse of hell. And Judges 9 tells us that will be what we deserve. It'll be what we have chosen. Which is why in the end, Judges chapter 9, it should drive us to the king that we don't deserve. You see, in his, in his amazing mercy and grace, God has sent us a king who is about as far opposite as, to Abimelech as you could possibly imagine. Uh, we we thought about God's grace this morning in Ephesians and here we see it in the most unlikely of chapters in Judges chapter 9 because in God's grace he sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ and as we've been seeing in our morning series in Mark's gospel Jesus is the most mind-blowingly wonderful king we could possibly imagine Abimelech he was a an arrogant king obsessed with position and power. Jesus is the humble king who gave up his position to enter our world as a slave. Abimelech was the self-serving king who did what was best for him. Jesus is the servant king. He uses all his power for the good of others. Abimelech was a wicked king who was willing to kill other people to get what he wanted. Jesus was the loving king. who was willing to be killed so that we might get the forgiveness that we need. Abimelech was the, the king the people chose. And as a result, they experienced God's curse. Jesus is the king that God sent. The one who took on the curse himself so that we might have every spiritual blessing in him. You see, Jesus is the king that we do not deserve. And yet in his amazing grace, he is the king that God has given us. Which means the the question for us as we close this evening is this. Who are you following? Who are you looking to for leadership in the big things And in the day-to-day, are you looking to a king like Abimelech? An idol that, that promises life, but in the end can only deliver death? Or are you looking to Jesus, the king that died, so that we might live forever with him? Who are you following today? Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are sorry this evening for our sin and our idolatry. Father, we are sorry for the times when we run after false gods, when we listen to other wannabe kings who promise much but deliver so little. Father, as we think about it now, we see how foolish it is, but also how dangerous it is to look anywhere else but to your Son. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us, help us to run to Jesus, help us to listen to him. We thank you that he is the king we don't deserve, but that in your amazing grace, he is the king you have given to us. Help us to trust in him today, we pray. Amen.